I encourage you to have your Bibles open at that passage in 1 Corinthians chapter 12. This is the, uh, the third in this part of the series. We're going through the whole book of 1 Corinthians. And now we've got to these three chapters, 12, 13, and 14, which are about spiritual gifts. And, and we're slowed down a bit. And we've got a, a series within a series, if you like. This is the series looking at these uh, spiritual gifts. And we're now just sort of moving on to what those actual gifts are. We set the scene. Uh, well, I say we set the scene. Paul set the scene as he wrote this letter to the Corinthians. And as we go forward, as we look into these spiritual gifts, we must, must look at them in, in the context of, of the foundational principles that, that Paul set out. And so I'm just going to quickly go through the, the main points that we saw from these first 11 verses over the last two weeks. We, we saw firstly that spiritual gifts matter in the life of the church. And they matter because as Paul wrote this letter, he said to the Corinthians, I do not want you to be uninformed. There's information that the Corinthians needed and there's information that we need now. And spiritual gifts matter to the life of the church. And then immediately we saw a warning, and it may seem as a negative, but it has to be brought out there. And, and we saw from the passage, and we saw from the context, and we saw from the history that some alleged spiritual gifts can be fake. And they were living in a time when spirituality and supernatural was all part of their normal course of worship, and some people were, were bringing that into the church in a unrighteous, unjustified, ungodly way. And so we need to be careful that some spiritual gifts can be faked. We can see the difference because we thirdly saw that spiritual gifts will declare Christ as Lord. We saw that from verse 3 of this chapter 12. Spiritual gifts will point to Christ. If spiritual gifts point to a person, if spiritual gifts point to an organization, if spiritual gifts are being used for financial benefit, they are not what they're intended to be. Spiritual gifts are and will declare Christ as Lord. And then we saw that Salvation is inextricably linked to spiritual gifts. You can't have spiritual gifts without salvation. Salvation itself is a gift. It is the gift that all believers have. Salvation is coming to know Jesus as Lord. It's realizing that we have sinned. It's realizing that we've offended the maker of this world, the heavens and the earth, the great King of kings and the Lord of lords. Realizing that we have fallen short of his standard. Realizing there's nothing that we can do about it ourselves. And we come to God through Jesus Christ who paid the price of the sins of his people on the cross. And, and that's how we come. And salvation is coming to know Jesus is Lord. And that links back to spiritual gifts. Because spiritual gifts declare that Jesus Christ is Lord. And the moment we are saved, the moment we come to know Jesus is our Savior, that is when we receive the Holy Spirit. And I've put the cross-references here, Ephesians 1, uh, 13 to 14, and Acts 2, uh, 3 to 8, so I want to underline that. And, and what we were seeing here in Corinthians isn't just a matter of Corinthians, it's seen throughout the whole of God's Word. And then perhaps we were surprised last week 
when we realize that so often we call these the gifts of the Spirit, we, we call them spiritual gifts, and, and, and that is because they're not just from the Holy Spirit. We saw the triune God, God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit in verses 4 and 6. And it's there bringing the gifts, the spiritual gifts, into our hearts and into our lives. We could not have these spiritual gifts without God the Father, God the Son, and and God the Holy Spirit. And so the Godhead works. And that's just how our spiritual gifts should work. Our spiritual gifts should work as a body, as we'll come on to later. And there's an illustration of what Paul goes on to talk about in verses 12 onwards in this chapter 12, of how the body works together and the Trinity works together in that mysterious perfection. And then we underlined from verse 7 that spiritual gifts are not primarily for your own personal benefit. They're for the benefit of the church. They're for the benefit of God's people. They are for, as it says here, for the common good. And there was lots of other references that we saw throughout God's word that underlines this, that spiritual gifts are not something that we hold on to just for our own benefit, for our own spirituality. It's for the building up of the church. It's for God's kingdom to come. It's for the good of us all. And that's why spiritual gifts matter within the life of the church. Because if they're not out there being used, then the church won't benefit. And God wants his church to benefit. Then seven, spiritual gifts are not all listed here in verses 8 to 10. Spiritual gifts are listed throughout the Bible. There are some in uh, the latter part of this chapter. There's some uh, in uh, Ephesians. There's some in, in Romans. There's some in one of the epistles of Peter. And they're in various different places. So they're not all listed here. We are focusing our thoughts on this batch at the moment. But we just wanted to underline that this is not a definitive list. That there are more. There are different ones. And, and we need to view them as a whole. And then lastly, last week we saw in our foundational putting these early verses together is spiritual gifts are not chosen. They are given. They're given by the Holy Spirit. And I hope last week you got a sense of awe and wonder to think that the third person of the Trinity, the Holy Spirit himself, selects and works out and chooses your gift for you. And you receive that gift the moment that you are saved. And it is for the benefit of the church. And it is to God's glory. And as we move forward, I trust that we all here together as a church can agree on these clear principles that were found in these first 11 verses and supported elsewhere in God's word because that allows us to go on and build and and, and see and understand what these spiritual gifts mean for us now after we've seen what they meant for the Corinthians then. But as we agree on these eight principles. We agree on this foundation. We, we need to be aware, and I'm sure some of you are very, very aware, but there are different opinions and, and points of application with regard to the spiritual gifts that are listed in verses 8 to 11 and elsewhere in the Bible. So we can say that these foundational principles that are there, we have to hold them because that's God's word. 
And as we move on from these, we have to realize, as a church, as individuals, that there are differing ideas. There are differing thoughts. And and the devil is not interested in what Paul was interested in. Paul, throughout this letter to the Corinthians, wants the Corinthians to be united. He wants the Corinthians to be built up. He wants the church to function to God's glory. And the devil is the exact opposite of that. The devil wants discord. The devil wants disunity. The devil wants fighting amongst the believers. The devil wants churches not talking with each other, not helping each other out. He wants to cause division and schism. And as we go through these gifts, these spiritual gifts, we have to be aware that what could be so useful, what could be such a blessing to the church, what could be to God's honor and to God's glory, the devil is desperately trying to get hold of it and use it against God's kingdom, against God's children. And so we must be careful personally. We must be careful as a church together. We must be careful to ask the Lord to help us to not let these issues and these differences cause disunity amongst ourselves. We need to pray and ask the Lord to keep us from having a judgmental spirit or a lack of respect to other Christ-centric biblical churches and believers who may differ on some of the opinions with these matters, but we love Christ and we've been saved by grace and we're going to heaven. We mustn't let these things cause division and, and fighting. But at the same time, as a church and as individuals, we need to be clear what God is convincing us of through the Holy Spirit. That's why we need these things. We can't just neglect them and say, oh, that's too difficult. That's going to cause fights. No, we need to know this stuff. We need to hold this stuff. We need God's name to be glorified. We need to be participating and using the spiritual gifts we have for the common good and for God's glory. And to hide them away is, in many ways, just as bad, probably, as the other end of the spectrum and using them in an unbiblical way. And I can say use them in an unbiblical way, pointing at the example of the Corinthians in chapter 14. I trust and I pray that I'm not having a critical spirit to anyone out there. I'm just quoting and speaking as God's word shows us. And so we need to be really, really careful. And as we go through this, there's some major differences that are going to come up. And one of the big questions that keeps coming up over the last little while, and people have been talking about it, is are all the spiritual gifts still relevant for the church now? Are all the spiritual gifts still relevant for the church now. And I just want to explain two main positions with regard to this. And I'm using alphabetical order here, so don't take the way I'm saying them as anything other than alphabetical order. The two main positions, one is called cessationism, and one is called continuism. Or you have cessationists and you have continuists. Now, the, the, the secret is in the name, and that probably makes sense to you. You may be thinking, oh, what, there's something about continuing, something about finishing. 
Well, sensationists believe that certain spiritual gifts, particularly the miraculous and the relativity gifts, and we're going to come on to what they are in more detail later, described in the New Testament have ceased or ceased to be normative after the apostolic era or the completion of the New Testament. So sensationists, sensationists are saying and believing that not all the spiritual gifts are relevant for now. Continuous, on the other hand, and sometimes these may be folk that are referred to as charismatics or Pentecostals, maybe that's a word you're more familiar with, they believe that all the spiritual gifts described in the New Testament continue to be active and available to believers now, today, and ongoing till Christ returns. Now, these are two definitions. And these definitions can be helpful to a degree. But there's a problem. Because as soon as I say one or the other, you are thinking possibly, or someone here is possibly thinking of one thing or the other thing, and the person that says it may be meaning something totally different. Because words have different meanings to different people. And, and with, with, with this, we have to remember that within these headings, within these titles, if you like, uh, being sensation, sensationist or continuist, that there are a wide range of beliefs. Cessationists don't hold identical views on which gifts have ceased. They, they, they debate the matter, sometimes very unrighteously debate the matter. And, and continuists agree on, disagree on, or have problems with the nature and the extent of all the gifts and what exactly that means. And so there's a spectrum. There's two sort of polarized views, but those views can have a lot of different nuances there. And it gets messy. And where there's messiness, there's a very, very active devil who wants to cause disunity. And I'm going to be very, very unhelpful today. And say, that's not today's sermon. We're not addressing whether we think the gifts are all for now or not all for now. That will come out, God willing, as we go through this series. But but as we start looking at these spiritual gifts from 1 Corinthians 12, there is something that we can all agree on, regardless of our position of whether we think we are continuist or or cessationist. Whatever we're thinking there, it doesn't matter, because what we know is when Paul wrote this book to the Corinthians, it was relevant to them then. It was absolutely relevant to them then. And so this is a foundation that I want us to work from. This is something that we can all be comfortable with. This is something that we can all hold on to or hang our hat on, if that's an illustration that works for you. We, we, can, we can go forward on this premise that Paul, as he wrote to these Corinthians, as he wrote to this church with its great opportunity and potential, yet at the same time with its real problems and difficulties, as Paul wrote to that church, These gifts were relevant for them then. And I think we can broaden that out a little bit further. And and we can can say this, that the Lord Jesus Christ, when he was here on this earth, the Lord Jesus Christ manifested all the gifts, and be careful, you've got to wait till I finish my sentence, manifest all the gifts of 1 Corinthians 
8 to 10, apart from the last two, tongues and interpretation. All those others we can see through the life of the Lord Jesus Christ doing. And that shouldn't surprise us a bit, should it? Because the Lord Jesus Christ was full of the Holy Spirit, wasn't he? The Lord Jesus Christ, on the day he was baptized, he had that special imagery brought of the Holy Spirit coming. And the whole of the man Christ Jesus' life was powered in a supernatural way through the work of the Holy Spirit. And so we can say that a man, Christ Jesus, can have more than one spiritual gift. That's another question we keep asking. Can I have more than one? Well, Jesus is the example of having them in abundance. But... As far as we know from the scriptures, Jesus didn't speak in tongues and didn't interpret. Now there's a lot of crossover between the gifts. And what we often like to do is have everything in nice little boxes. I don't know if that's you. I remember my mother, when I was a youngster, had a button collection. Why you collect buttons, I don't know, but we did. And, and we had buttons and, and sort of blue ones and, and green ones and, and different, and they're all nice and neatly in their little boxes. And maybe as you are studying, you, you like to have everything nice and neatly set out. And for fear of disturbing and going off in the wrong direction, men's minds work like that. Everything's neatly in a little box. We have a little box for each occasion, and we take it out, and then we carefully put it away, and we take the next one out and carefully put it away. And it drives ladies mad because they're interconnected with everything, and they can't work out. And, and that's what these gifts of the Spirit are like. They are all interconnected. They're not lots of nice little neat boxes. And so it's very difficult to, to explain. It's very difficult to categorize. But we, but we need to try and, and work at it so that we can get an idea of what's going on, because if we don't, we miss out. And so, although there's a lot of crossover between the gifts, theologians often use categories to help us to define and understand these gifts of the Spirit, these spiritual gifts. And the first two main categories that I want us to just consider briefly is the fact that there are extraordinary and ordinary. And again, alphabetical, extraordinary and ordinary. And as we look through this list here, as, as we sort of just go through it, we, we, can, we can start thinking, well, is this ordinary? Uh, are gifts of healing ordinary? Are works of miracles ordinary? Uh, and then we could say, well, what's extraordinary? Is, is this? And, and so we start getting an idea. Extraordinary uh, are often viewed as more spirit supernatural, more revelatory gifts. Uh, the examples would be prophecy, miracles, healing, speaking of tongues, interpretation of tongues. And, and these ones are, are sort of much more dramatic. And they have great impact. And we saw great impact of tongues on the day of Pentecost. And we see great impact of healings and, and, and miracles in the, in the book of Acts. And, and we see them there very clearly. And then there's the ordinary gifts. The everyday gifts that believers may possess. And then they are typically associated with the ongoing ministry and the function of the church. Uh, for example, teaching, serving, encouragement, giving, 
mercy, all these different gifts there. And these gifts are essential for the, for the regular function and the growth of the church. And that, again, is seen in the book of Acts. And again, it's emphasized in the pastoral epistles. So, we have in our minds here two different things. And we just need to have park them there in some ways. Extraordinary and ordinary gifts. And gifts that some people view have ceased and some people view have continued. But there's a, there's a further categorization which I think can help. And this categorization doesn't work in the, in the realm of extraordinary and ordinary. It, it works like this. It thinks about speaking gifts, serving gifts, gifts of power, or, or some people would call those gifts of power maybe relatively gifts, but that gets a bit messy because that can also be within speaking gifts. So we can see the crossover that happens there and the gifts of people and roles. And, and I, I, I'm desperately trying not to lecture here. I don't want to lecture. I want to preach here. But I have got a, a table which will help us just see this and, and we'll quickly go through it. We have speaking gifts, serving gifts, gifts of power, and gifts of people and roles. And so you can see that the speaking gifts are all about it coming out of someone's mouth, someone speaking, someone uttering, someone saying. And so we, we can see these, the, the, these lists of these here, and these, this is a list that we looked at uh, the, the other week, uh, not just from this passage in 1 Corinthians, but the, the, the second part of this uh, chapter, and then in uh, Romans, and again in uh, Ephesians and, and Peter, and we've brought them all together here. And so you see under speaking, we have prophecy, teaching, exhorting, words of wisdom, words of knowledge, various kinds of tongues, interpretations of tongues. And then in serving, we have whoever serves. We have contributing, gifts, uh, giving, acts of mercy, helping. And then in gifts of power, or possibly more supernatural, we have faith, healings, workings of miracles, distributing, distinguishing between the spirits. And, and then we have gifts of roles. And we have apostles, prophets, evangelists, shepherds, teachers, uh, and shepherd teachers and teachers. And these are all different roles. And often these different roles may be accompanied with other gifts. And, and so you can see how they're all intermingled. And if we just quickly go to the, the next slide, we can see here how the gifts that we have here in our passage uh, are there under two headings. So as we go through this passage here, we're going to be looking at uh, utterances of wisdom, utterances of knowledge, faith, gifts of healing, uh, working of miracles, prophecy, ability to distinguish between the spirits, various kinds of tongues, and interpretations of tongues. And so this, this first list here in 1 Corinthians focuses particularly on the speaking gifts and the gifts of power, as it were. And so as we go through, we'll be thinking, are these extraordinary? Are they ordinary? Are they speaking gifts, serving gifts, gifts of power? How do they work in? And I trust as we do this, it will help us. But I think this needs to be said. It would be best for us to say that the description of spiritual gifts are more shades of grey 
than black and white. If you're looking for, for black and white descriptions, that, that can get difficult and challenging. We miss out. So, so, so in other words, the, the descriptions and the explanation of spiritual gifts is more of an art than a science. Or maybe more appropriate, I should say. To think about spiritual gifts, we need the Holy Spirit to teach us. We need the Holy Spirit to guide us. And, and if the gifts of the Spirit teach us nothing else, they should teach us our absolute dependency and the necessity of the Holy Spirit in our lives as a believer. And so with that in mind, those, that foundation and, and those comments, I want us to start now looking at the, the gifts of the Spirit, uh, the spiritual gifts in the order that we see them here in 1 Corinthians 12. And we're not going to get through this whole list today. We'll, we'll see how far we get. We'll probably just get the first couple, maybe three. We'll, we'll see how it goes. And so that the first one we have here, as it's mentioned here in this passage, is in, in, the, in, the, in the, ver, the, the church version that we use at ESV, it's here as utterances of wisdom. Or another way that we could call this is words of wisdom. Verse 8. For to one is given through the Spirit the utterance of wisdom. And again we see this underlined. To one is given. The gifts aren't given to everybody. The Holy Spirit knows who needs these gifts for the roles that they have been given. And so to one or another is given. And again we see that it is given. It's not demanded. It's not earned. It's not taught. It is given through the Spirit. And so this first one is utterance of wisdom, or I can say words of wisdom. And if I say one or the other, I mean the same. Now, we have to be careful, careful here, because we are told how important wisdom is in the Bible. But the utterance of wisdom, words of wisdom, isn't just wisdom. All believers are told to get wisdom. And I, we can say this from James. And you might say it doesn't say all believers. But it says, if any of you lacks wisdom. So is anyone full up of wisdom here? Anyone fully loaded, totally wise? There's always a lacking, isn't there? So with all believers, there is a lacking. So that's why we say all believers are told to get wisdom. And, and, and James tells us, doesn't he? He says, let him ask God who gives generously without reproach and it will be given him. So there's a sense here this morning that we all should be wanting wisdom. Wisdom is something that God has given to us. It's, it's who he is. Wisdom is there throughout the book of Proverbs and wisdom is calling out and wisdom is, is, is referred to like a, a lady calling out and wanting men and wanting women to come and, and have that wisdom and know that wisdom and, and God wants his people to be wise. And, and this promise is here for us and, and the book of Proverbs is full of practical wisdom and it's for us all, it's for us all, for us all to use and be blessed by. And so the utterance of wisdom, words of wisdom, is not just 
wisdom. Just wisdom is just for all of us. Words of wisdom is something beyond this. Now some people would characterize wisdom in this way. They would say that wisdom is observing the natural order of things and seeing how things work. And so you can have very wise people who study physics, and they can look at physics and work through and through observing it, through uh, coming up with hypotheses, with having theories, without with doing experiments. They can come and they can show their wisdom of saying how things work. Well, biblical wisdom that we need is somewhat different from that. It involves discerning what God would have someone do in a situation, through observation. And we can see that throughout the book of Proverbs. And we can see many of these Proverbs, there is an observation, and then there's, do this. Don't do that. You are stupid if you do that. If you carry on doing that, it's going to cause you problems. And that type of wisdom is open for all of us. For all of us. And we should want that. And I'm sure as you are in your work situation, as you are in your church situation, as you're in your family situation, when your situation is beyond you, and how often does that happen? So often we can come to God and ask for wisdom and he will give it to us without reproach. What a statement, generously to all, without reproach. I I just wonder why I see so many foolish things in my own life when all I've got to do is ask and it's given without reproach. When there's so much insanity and foolishness in the church and, and, and it could be overcome by us coming to God and asking for that wisdom. But, but the utterance of wisdom are, are beyond that. And we, we see utterances of, of wisdom in 1 Corinthians, this book itself. We see Paul bringing it. And if we just go back to, to chapter 1 and verse 25, it talks about a contrast between divine wisdom in, in redemption, in salvation, contrasted with human philosophy. And for the time of the Corinthians, there was lots of philosophy around, lots of thinking, lots of deep minds working things out. And Paul says to them, for the foolishness of God is wiser than men. And the weakness of God is stronger than men. And so we're seeing that this wisdom is, is something, and this utterance of wisdom is, is great and it's deep because it's God's wisdom and it's better and it's greater than the philosophies and the human minds. But when you look into this passage, and when you see the, the, the words that are used here, the words used here for utterance of wisdom, or the words used here for uh, words of wisdom, is in the original Logos Sophias. And, and I think we can take this and we can see this, and it's, it's alluding to Paul's discussions from that chapter 1, verse 17, through to, to chapter 2 and verse 18, verse 16. And it, could be, and it should be understood in the light of his teaching about wisdom. And then the Apostle Paul says in, in verse 7 of, of chapter 2, but we impart a secret hidden wisdom of God, which God decreed 
before the ages for our glory. And you see, the emphasis is not so much on the wisdom, but on the word, on the message that that wisdom has produced. Paul was given a wisdom and an insight to be able to impart secret and hidden wisdom from God and to be able to proclaim it and share it and speak it to the Corinthians. And the Corinthians, as they read that letter, they heard words of wisdom. They heard utterances of wisdom from the Apostle Paul. And so it's very safe for us to say that Paul's letter to to Corinthians is a demonstration of this gift. Paul is here and he's talking to these people and he's bringing utterances of wisdom. He's bringing insight from God. He's bringing insight through the power of the Holy Spirit to these people and he's speaking directly into their lives. Paul, inspired by the Holy Spirit, uh, demonstrates this gift of utterance. And and he gives these Corinthians wise counsel and wise guidance. They come with questions. They come with queries. They want to know these things. Paul hears rumors, and he hears not just rumors, but reports of their behavior. And he speaks into their lives with supernatural words of wisdom that point to the root of the problem and open the scriptures and open God's word and allow these Christians at Corinth to be restored and to be changed and to be challenged and to grow. And the church of Corinth would have benefited from Paul's words of wisdom only if they were wise enough to act on it. We have two books to Corinthians, two letters, and we know that there was another one that was written. These Corinthians didn't get it. Paul came and he proclaimed, he proclaimed through these letters, deep, deep truths, utterances, words of wisdom. And the congregation looked on. Oh, yes, that's nice. And then they went home and they carried on their lives the same. And Paul had to write to them again. And you see, with the gifts of the Spirit, they are amazing. But the Holy Spirit needs to apply them across the congregation and across the people. Otherwise, what's happening? You see, the the gifts of the Spirit aren't just about that personal gift. It's about how that gift takes root and is used within the congregation, within the life of the church. You see, these utterance of wisdom to be a blessing at the church at Corinth needed the Holy Spirit to apply them into the hearts and the lives of the individuals so that they would change, so that they would do something, so they would be convicted of their sexual immorality and they would stop and they would repent, so they'd be convicted of their lording over others and getting drunk at the Lord's Supper and they would stop doing it. But unless the Holy Spirit worked in their lives, these words of utterance were empty. We need the gifts, but we need the gift giver to work through these gifts. You see, we think these gifts are all about us, don't we? I've got this great, the gift is nothing about to do with the person who has it. It's all to do about the Holy Spirit who uses that gift for the benefit of the people. You see, you can hear some amazing preachers. And they're insightfully opening God's word and they're applying the wisdom of God. 
But unless the Holy Spirit applies it in the lives of the hearers, it's not going to benefit the church. And so very closely linked to utterances of wisdom, we have utterances or words of knowledge. Utterances of knowledge. Words of knowledge. A little later in that same verse, or just immediately on, and to another, the utterance of knowledge according to the same spirit. We read Acts. We were exhorted to be here on time. And part of the reason to be here on time is we read God's Word. And very often the reading of God's Word links in with the sermon. And we read from Acts chapter 5. And Acts chapter 5 in those early verses about Ananias and Sapphira. And they lied about the amount of money they received after selling the property. And nobody knew that this was a lie. But the Apostle Paul filled with the Holy Spirit, knew what they'd done and confronted them about their deceit. I would say that was an utterance of knowledge. The Holy Spirit worked supernaturally in the Apostle Peter's heart, mind. I don't know how it worked there, but he knew. And he could look them in the eye and say, is that all of it? And he knew that it had been held back. And the Holy Spirit worked dramatically and fear fell upon the whole of the church then because Anasiah and Sophia died as a result of their sins. This is a demonstration of the power of the Holy Spirit. Some people say this is a demonstration of the gift of utterance of knowledge. Yes, we could say that, but really this is a demonstration of the power of the Holy Spirit. And we don't know if this was a regular thing that Peter did, but he did it then. And this gift was then. And I think we need to bear this in mind that sometimes the gifts will manifest themselves as the Holy Spirit wills. The Apostle Peter didn't come into church like a clairvoyant and look around and think, oh yes, you've got toothache. And oh yes, you've got that. That's not what was happening here. The church was in danger of being mocked. And the Holy Spirit filled Peter at that moment in time. And the gift was applied. And it was for the benefit of the church. Although it was a shocking thing to happen. Can you imagine coming to church the next Sunday? And Anna Sophia's and empty seats. They're not there. What happened to them? They lied to God. I think we also have another example of, of this knowledge coming in, in, in a supernatural way. And we read it again in Acts 16. And there's the Apostle Paul on his missionary journeys. And it's strange, isn't it? Because we think that our mandate is, and we, our mandate is, we're told to go out to all nations. And they were going out to all nations. And the Holy Spirit said, wait, wait, not that way. Not there. Not there, but there. And so we, we see here that something happened We don't know exactly how it happened. We know that the call to Macedonia was through a vision. But the other two, we we don't know exactly how it happened. But the Holy Spirit gave direct knowledge at that moment, at that time, of what to do. 
And so, oftentimes people would say as a result of those that utterance of knowledge is all about a supernatural thing like that. But I would think that that's probably more like prophecy. You see, wisdom and knowledge are coupled together here. And later in the list, we have prophecy. And I think what was happening here was, was more prophetic with regard to Peter and Paul in those situations. And, and, and I think what we've got here with this words of wisdom and, and, and words of knowledge being coupled together, I, I think this gift is really about how doctrine, how God's word how God's truth applies into our lives. You see, Paul exercised and expressed this gift throughout this letter, and he keeps on referring, and I don't know if you've noticed this, as we've gone through this book, Paul has this refrain, do you not know? Do you not know? In chapter 3, 16, in chapter 5, 6, in chapter 6, 2, and 3, in chapter uh, 6, 9, in chapter 6, 5, and 9, in chapter uh, 19 and, and, and 9 and 9 13 and, and 9 24 and through there he keeps coming back to this knowledge and he's bringing this knowledge to them and he wants them to have this knowledge because this knowledge is the truth that needs applying to their lives and what happened what's interesting is, is the Corinthians had a, a, an overemphasis purely on knowledge that got them into trouble you see, some of them were proud of their knowledge, and they were proud of their knowledge with regard to uh, stuff being uh, sacrificed to idols, and they had liberty to eat it, and others didn't, and their knowledge was overcoming those that weren't, and they thought they were more enlightened, and, and, and the church was being divided, and Paul, in righteous knowledge and in Words of knowledge spoke right into that situation where they thought they were the knowledgeable ones. And Paul was saying, no, that's not knowledge. This is knowledge. You need to esteem others more highly than yourselves. That the church needs to be united together. And if someone's conscience is weak on that, you need to uphold them and help them and strengthen them and not drag them down. That's what knowledge is. We know all of us possess knowledge. Chapter 8. And the end of verse 1 says, We know that all of us possess knowledge. This knowledge puffs up. But love builds up. The wrong application of knowledge puffs up. And, and Paul brings that to the table, as it were. He brings that into their situation. And he speaks these words of knowledge, these utterances of knowledge, right into the situation. And like a surgeon cutting into the patient to make the incision is accurate. When the Holy Spirit gives words of utterance like that, people's hearts are cut to the quick. That's what happened at Pentecost as Peter was preaching. The peoples were cut to the heart. What was going on there? The Holy Spirit was working through Peter, giving him utterance of knowledge so that when he said you were them, they knew it and they were cut to the quick. And this is contrasted. This, this is contrasted. This knowledge that puffs up is contrasted in chapter 1 and verse 4 and 6. 
He talks about the testimony of Christ working amongst the Corinthians. And he says, because of the grace of God that was given you in Christ Jesus, that in every way you were enriched in him in all speech and all knowledge. See, it can puff up and it can cause problems. But Christ's knowledge which he gave enriches and builds up. And Christ has been given for that. And at at the time that this letter was written, the utterance of the knowledge was the capability to to receive and uh, and share supernatural knowledge. And, And the reason we have most of the New Testament, or all the New Testament, if we could put it like that, is because... God gave these men utterance of knowledge so that they could share with us and share with the people then what God was saying to them, what God wanted them to know. But there's a warning here. And the warning here is this, as we saw the other day, this gift will build up the church. It's not to build up the giver of the word, is to build up the church. And, and this gift will never go against the truth of God's word. And, and the reason I, I share this with you is because we need to see the dark side of this. And we need to call it out for what it is. Because just the other day, I heard someone who self-proclaimed they were giving an utterance of knowledge. Now, to keep this short, the gist of what this person said was that Adam was not the first man that God created, but he was the first man God created in the image of God. Do you get that? And this guy was was there in his amazing suit and his amazing stage with his amazing congregation. And he was telling the deep things of God's word. And he was panting and he was sweating. And he came out with that. And he clearly not read the first few chapters of the Bible. Because it clearly tells us there what happens. Everyone's read Genesis 1, 2, and 3 here. And everyone knows that Adam was the first man. And then in 1 Corinthians 15, verse 45, it says, Thus it is written, The first man, Adam, became a living being. And you get people out there who proclaim that they have this gift of utterance and they haven't because they're going against God's word. And that's, friends, what we need to be careful about. And why do people go against God's word? Why do people do this? Well, because the devil is very active. And we need to pray that we don't go that way. But I think so often it's because people feel a need to build up a ministry, to build up an influence, to build up a status. And what better way of doing it than bringing something new and something novel? And then the flip side is something a bit like this. And there's been times when a preacher has been applying God's word and I've been sat there And I thought, has he been with me this last week? Has he saw into the depths of my dirty heart? 
And that's an utterance of knowledge because although that preacher doesn't know me from Adam, the Holy Spirit has given him something to say directly to me. And I've had people come to me after the service or later, and they've almost accused me or asked me, who told you that I did that? I didn't know you did that. I was just preaching. And God was speaking. And that is not me claiming uh, an utterance of knowledge. But that's me saying that the Holy Spirit works. And the Holy Spirit works in these ways. And that's, friend, what we want to be seeing. We don't want to be grasping gifts to build empires. We want to be pleading with the Holy Spirit to be using gifts to build his kingdom. We've got two done. We've got a few more to do. We can look forward to them next week. Uh, I'm going to close in prayer, and I just would ask you to give yourselves a few moments to, to assimilate what you've heard. Uh, I and the other pastors around to chat with any of you. Please join us on Zoom to chat further, and let's pray. Almighty God, we thank you that we have your word. We thank you that you've given us the Holy Spirit. As, as we've heard something from your word, we pray that anything that was wrong or amiss would be taken away. We pray that you would give us a discernment to see and know what we should hold on to. May this take root in our hearts and our lives, O oh Lord God. And may we not be so much obsessed by gifts, but may we be obsessed by the gift giver. And may we be obsessed by the desire to see the gift giver working through any gifts that we may have to the honor and the glory of your great and holy name. And O oh Lord God, as we've talked about some things that could be seen to be controversial, we pray that here as a church we may have unity one with another, even if there's different opinions. May we know each other as brothers and sisters in Christ. And if we've been hearing things that have challenged our knowledge, challenged our current teaching and understanding, may we be submitting to the Holy Spirit and may he teach us and lead us what you would have us to learn. And O Lord God, may this series bear great fruit. May we become a church that's a bright light and a living example of what a church on fire for you, full of spiritual gifts, can do. In Jesus' mighty name we've prayed. Amen.